Welcome to St. Joseph Radio Presents. Today's program is maybe the most important one we can all have. I, I went to a partner's meeting, and I met my young partner, and he was wearing a Jewish cross, not cross, but a Jewish Star David. And I started talking to him about faith, and he said, I don't believe in God. And my mouth is hanging on the floor. So, Mr. Miller, will you help me find the words I should have used back then to figure out how <laughs> we'll to tell this a, guy there's God? We'll give it a shot. It might take a few sessions, though, but uh, we can come up with some good quips. There we go. <laughs> Listen, it'll be fun. <laughs> Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program, broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, thank you, Matt. And uh, I am your host today, Peter Kruitz. We're here live in studio with Sean Miller. He is the DRE over at Immaculate Heart. Is that right? Yeah. Immaculate Heart Mary New Melly. There you go. So he had to pack a bag to come here. But thank you for coming. Today's program, I'm going to get right into it, is something about God, right? Yeah, Reasons for God. Uh, it's going to be kind of a like an introduction to a series on just understanding how we uh, know that God is real, present. Uh, we got to kind of till the soil to talk about um, his reality first. We're going to be talking about philosophy and science and faith and reason and all that stuff. And, and why? You know, one of my favorite Bible verses is First Peter 3.15, always have a sure reason for the hope that is in you, yeah, right? So yeah. you need to be ready and prepared. This is one of the reasons or one of the ways you can be ready and prepared as opposed to being just flat dumbfounded. I I was hosting a dinner uh, for, I don't know, 50 attorneys or so, and we were going to go to a concert afterwards. So, And and, uh, whenever I gather in a group, especially if I'm paying, uh, (laughs) we say grace. or I always say grace before a meal. So I'm sitting at a table with this guy, and I I know he's Jewish, and I say, I'm going to say grace, but, you know, we're coming up on Rosh Hashanah. I said, would you do a Jewish blessing too? He says, sure, I will. And I'm telling you, he, he gave the most beautiful little vignette, little talk, and a Jewish blessing, mm-hmm. you know, Barak and I, Adonai, you know, just yeah. just rolled right into it. And we're on the we're on the bus, and we were talking about this, and he said, you know, I don't I don't really believe in God, and, and my <laughs> my mouth is hanging open. So uh, I'd like to do more than have my mouth hang open. Let's have some good reasons, some good thoughts, and some good ways to remember what are. What are the reasons for our sure hope? Yeah, so the the g- ultimate game plan of this is going to be I've got a series. It's a it's a memory aid because I always like to teach in memory aids because like we were saying before, there's so much knowledge out there in books and talks, whatever. How do you kind of put it together in in a kind of a user friendly glass to share with someone in a conversation? So the memory aid is going to be jumped. 
that's kind of a play on the in the sense of the quote leap of faith. Sometimes people think that you know a leap of faith is just kind of blind wishful thinking, but there's some really good uh, reasons why we believe. Obviously, this is not just a superstitious situation. So jumped is going to be the memory aid. So we're going to get that down the line. But this kind of part one is just going to be. Um, kind of to help till the soil. The common ground, speaking of tilling the soil, is going to be reason. So I got my degree in philosophy, which we'll talk about that in a second because it doesn't necessarily mean that much. Uh, we're all philosophers, though, because we question. And uh, so we're going to be talking about some philosophy and understanding reasons. Because um, one of the things, you know, I, I think we've got such a distorted view of God and rationality and the dif- distinction between what is science and faith. And I, I was just recently listening to this d- debate of this guy who was an atheist with a believer. And, you know, I, I had to admit it was pretty sad because whenever he'd make a, a point, typically cynically, about, you know, that, that there is no God and the p- people that believe in are just kind of dumb, blind, you know, irrational, unscientific people. People would just clap, woo, yeah, you know, like he made the point, you know. And if you think about that, you're like, my gosh, they're cutting the branch they're sitting on uh, because it's like, wow, this is great. Woohoo. No God, no objective order, no meaning, no purpose, no ultimate justice, no nothing. Wow, this is gr- wonderful. You're like, do you really realize what you're clapping for when you're thinking about, I am rejecting the very ground of order in all of its fields, and I'm thinking that it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, almost like the kid that says, yeah, I'm out of the parents' home. I can do whatever I want. You're like, you got to think this through. So I think um, it's kind of like the the Lord's words of the cross, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. But I think we also have to try and do our best as believers to give people uh, you know, reasons that this is a sound worldview. This isn't something that we just said, oh, hey, believe just because I said so. Right. You're dropping a seed, and hopefully when they, as they walk away, they're going to continue to think about it. These thoughts that you leave them with will percolate mm-hmm. and grow. Yeah, so I guess in terms of speaking about God, it'd probably be good to start off with invoking him. <laughs> so, Thank you. You're just so, saving uh, my job. So if we're wanting to say... Um, I guess if you know where we stand on the question, it is in favor of. <laughs> so you're going to say the opening prayer? I will. Let's just Thank call you the prayer much. that we both know. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, uh-huh. hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Bless this talk for those who hear it live today and uh, into the future. So, you know, I've, I've wrestled with this. I mean, we, we all have questions. As a kid, you know, we're all naturally curious. It's a shame that, um, you know, part of our curiosity has been squelched by those who are in the know, who really just betray um, others in their teaching and formation and whatnot. You know, the catechism has spoken about atheism as really one of the uh, most serious problems of our time, and it even goes into it to speak about how much believers can have a part in that. Like for us who are supposed to be representing God, you know, I mean, granted we're all sinners, but we can really mar the face of God. We can just kind of present as like, well, you just kind of believe just because we don't really have any evidence or proof or whatever. It's kind of like there's this split right now to think that science and faith are on, are on opposite sides. And that's just not the case. We believe that truth can't contradict truth. God is the author of both. I mean, if he's the Lord of creation, then guess what? He made science. But, you know, atheism kind of goes to that next step and says that I refuse to believe. And, th- and th- there's a whole host of reasons that can back that up. Sometimes people think that, well, belief in God is just kind of wishful thinking because you want there to be something 
But actually, atheism can be the same way too. You know, you can. Uh, there's a book out there called Faith of the Fatherless by a psychologist named um, Dr. Paul Vitz, and he was talking about how a lot of these people who are really outspoken atheists, because they're aggressive, like there's a kind of a joke that says, nobody talks so constantly about God as those who insist that there is no God. Right. Yeah. And that's a lot of these ag- aggressive um, atheists. So it's like this rage, <clears throat> there's probably some deep-rooted tendency that they're behind it too, and he kind of makes the case that it's usually an anger against one's own father. Oh, really? And again, that's a whole psychological issue. But if they think that we've got kind of psychological wishful thinking, let's let's kind of turn the coin and say, you know, I don't have a rage against unicorns. I don't have a rage against things that I don't think are real. Why am I going around the world trying to make the case that there is no such thing? That's just something to kind of ponder. But then you get kind of uh, the lesser viewpoint, so to speak, in terms of its aggressiveness is agnosticism, which pretty much says that, well, I don't really know. You know, there may, may be, might not be. I mean, that's okay to have that kind of curious, I'm not sure, but it's like it can lead to a lot of indifferentism and to say, well, no one can ever really know and whatever. But sometimes these guys can be aggressive too. It's like there's this line that says, uh, an agnostic is a person who says that he knows nothing about God, and when you agree with him, he becomes angry. Oh. (laughs) Anyways, so, uh, you know, the goal is it's one thing to talk about the character of God, you know, uh, is God all good, all loving, how can he allow evil and so forth if he really cares. But in terms of that, there is a God. That's a whole nother question. So um, a book recently came out by a guy named Eric Eric McTaxis, and he said, is, mm-hmm. atheism, is atheism dead? And he's like, given the fact of all the, especially in cosmology and the modern scientific view of the incomprehensibility of so much of the beauty of the of life, the fine-tuning of the universe, it's like, you know, that just is making, and there's other reasons there too, but, you know, can we really just say, ah, it's all just, you know, we can have a builder without a building, you know, a designer without design or vice versa. Can we have a universe without a universe maker? He's saying, you know, I think that's to put to rest. So um, anyways, in this talk, what we're going to try and do is, like I said, till the soil to plant the seeds of faith, and the common ground is going to be reason. So like in the book of Isaiah, it says, come now, let us reason together. So that's one of the things I had to study at, uh, like I had at one point in my life thought that, you know, I would go into the seminary, discern priesthood, and then right away they said, you have to get your undergraduate in philosophy. And I'm, and I'm like, uh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I've got this funny cartoon comic here in front of me where it's got philosophy class 101, and it's got these four or five students, and they all have got their books out on Plato. And then I got a picture with my name by it, and it's Play-Doh. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, because it was just a joke about, you know, like St. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, et cetera. Now, I didn't really know what philosophy was, you know, and I've since obviously come to understand it because I had to get my degree in it. But let me say this. You don't have to be a professional philosopher to be a philosopher. We're all philosophers. That means we ask questions. We reason, right? Plato, you know, he followed his teacher Socrates that says an unexamined life is not worth living. So basically, it's asking the questions about life. Who am I? Where am I going? That's what the Catechism says in in, uh, 282. It says, basic questions that men of all times have asked themselves. Where do we come from? Where are we going? What is our origin? What is our end? Where does everything that exists come from and where is it going? So, like, the answers to these are huge. You know, like, this is like, what is the meaning of life? 
that's what kind of philosophy does. So it begins in wonder. I mean, do you have a natural curiosity to wonder about the big questions? You know, uh, and as it says, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up where you don't want to. <laughs> so it's like, why be on a road if you don't know where you're kind of headed? So philosophy tries to looks at you know looks at some of those big. Um, questions, you know. At the end of the day, it it literally means uh, love of wisdom. So we think about, we hear about the term PhD. Mm-hmm. That's a doctor of philosophy in such and such, yeah. you know, uh, science. Doctor of or, philosophy, yeah. Right. And so really, you know, it's interesting that, um, so knowledge, we, we get the term science, you know, sciencia, that's, that's where we get the word for knowledge. That's what it means. So like any kind of a knowledge base that we're studying, right, we get these facts, but we have to have them ordered towards some end. So if I become a doctor in a medical field, it should be then ordered towards applying it to patients. If I get a doctorate in whatever field, how do I use this for, quote, the greater good? So philosophy is the love of wisdom that it takes the knowledge and applies it to some greater end. So like I was just listening to a talk by Fulton Sheen this morning where he was saying that, you know, Basically, uh, you can have a lot of knowledge, but no wisdom. You can know a lot of things without be- without being moral. He said, but in order to have wisdom, you have to be good, because wisdom is ordered toward its ultimate good. How do I take this knowledge and direct it? Now, people, a lot of people have knowledge, but they use it for the perversion and distortion, and we see that all the time. And that's a sad reality about education is like if you know, but you try to use your knowledge you know, for those who don't have it and you pervert it and distort it for the sake of some end that is wicked or evil, that's nasty, you know, and that's what we're up against all the time. That's what kind of a lot of a complaint is about higher education. So, you know, we're in a culture, however, that reveres, quote, knowledge, quote, science. But I want to make the case today that, you know, science is much greater than the empirical. You know, like we're in a culture that says we want to focus on what and how as opposed to the greater question of why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, who gives a rip about what and how if you're like, well, then why Why is this? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why am I here? Where am I going? So, um, again, we're all philosophers. We'll say in faith it's because, you know, we have this rational curiosity because we're made in the image of a rational mind, namely God. So uh, we're destined for truth. We're destined for happiness. God wants us to seek and find, ask, knock, etc. So he's not necessarily going to give us all the data without you know our wanting it ourselves. He's so made us to kind of seek the truth, mm-hmm. seek the life. And that's the beauty of humanity, right? So Pope John Paul II had a great encyclical. And when I read this, like if I would have to summarize all of what I learned in philosophy, you know, because there's classes I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a trolley horse between the ears. It's right. really difficult to grasp. What does this even mean? Sometimes you're reading these guys, and I'm like, how does this all fit together? And it still is complex, but like, there's a there's a document called Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. And so he talks about how both faith and reason, you know, science and reason, are all wedded together. This is the synthesis that, like, if if God made creation, you know, you're never going to find anything in reason and revelation that are on opposite sides. So. He starts out, this has been quoted many times, this is a great statement. He said, in the very beginning of this document, he writes, faith and reason are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth, and God has placed in the human heart a desire to know the truth, in a word, to know himself, so that by knowing and loving God, men and women may also come to the fullness of truth, 
about themselves. So the church loves reason. It says, bring it on. You you, you want to think that science and faith are on opposite sides? Bring it, because right. we're saying properly understood, they're never going to contradict uh, one another. And the church has always been on the side of science, and if, if you will. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Krutz. We're with Sean Miller, and we're we're talking about God and, and, and how we can prove he exists. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, we're trying to at least make the case for belief, you know. Yeah. And, and John Paul may be one of the greatest philosophers or theologians we've had, you know, and, and certainly Benedict was a great one as well. But that image that you put out there really is not only vivid, but it's true, too. Two wings of a dove. One wing in one dove doesn't work, right? <laughs> right yeah. And they work together. And, and the church has always been a great patron of the sciences. So there, you know, the, the, there's some false information out there that would suggest that the church is against science. Yeah. Co- quite the contrary. The church has always been a patron of the sciences. Yeah. My son was just taking a class, and he said in, in one of the books that it, it, it you know, posits the fact that the church tried to suppress all this knowledge to try and hide it, to get out its own viewpoint. But it's like, uh, if anybody gets a chance, if this is on forum.org. It's called, it's a series called The Search. And in, in, in the third video, it talk, talks about the church's re, uh, relationship with science. And there was a great point, I learned it for the first time, that the Vatican has an observatory uh-huh. in uh, Arizona. Right. Because, I mean, they, they had them there in, in, in Rome on the on the Vatican it, it itself, you know, but on the uh, St. Peter's Basilica, but they but because of the lights and whatnot, they wanted to take it out to where it's, you know, in a, in a dark place, so. Yeah. And some of the great scientists that, that you have heard of, you might not realize they're Catholic priests. Copernicus, for example, is a Catholic priest. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's plenty, plenty of them. Anyway, I'm digressing. We're, no, we're... so just to kind of follow for the two wings, you know, there's another one I like is uh, the two tracks of the railroad tracks, R&R, Reason and Revelation. Those oh. two go together. And so it's like, you know, man is able to find who God is through reason, but in terms of finding out you know, who he is, not just that he is, but what is his character, that's revelation. So these are called two orders of knowledge. They're meant to be wedded together. I can know something about Peter Karuch just by looking at you, height, weight, eyes, nationality, etc. But in terms of who you are, you have to reveal yourself to me, okay? And so that's what we call as revelation. So these two railroad tracks are, are really to take us to our destination, which is to know, love, and serve God. So we can know what the mind has in mind. We can know our purpose. So we have reason and revelation to guide us. And fortunately, uh, we can go off track. There can be a train wreck, right? We can uh, you know, avoid right reason. We can avoid and distort um, revelation. So I said philosophy begins in wonder, you know, the awe of questioning who is God, what is this about? So I say we can become wanderers or wanderers. Believe it or not, I used to be um, in a band back in the day with my dad, and they kind of sang old pop, rock, whatever, and the first song I actually did was called The Wanderer there you go. by Dion, you know? Yeah. and um, But I think, you know, sometimes it's interesting, like, when we think about God in Christ coming to save us, that, you know, that we're lost in sin and he comes as Savior. But we can be lost in not knowing who we are, where we're going, what's the purpose. So Christ comes as teacher, as revealer, as well as redeemer. So that, you know, if we are wandering around being lost, we can, you know, also trust that, you know, the Lord comes to show us the way, you know, the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what I love. I always like the image of Christ, the teacher, 
who comes to reveal in the person who God is and who we are. So a memory aid for this one is uh, barbecue. When did you begin asking really big questions? If you want to live an examined life, you got to start doing that. Barbecue, B-A-R-B-Q. Begin asking really big questions. I recently read a book by uh, uh, Professor John Bergsma where it's called Yes, There Is a God. And he said, um, he kind of puts it in terms of glue, God, life, universe, everything. So we got to start asking questions about those, those big ones, you know. So unfortunately, I mean, uh, we lack a lot of curiosity there, and it's easy to become lazy in thinking. You know, to really pursue truth, you got to have kind of a heart that's upright. you got to have intellectual integrity. And unfortunately, though, we've got a culture that wants to do what? Massively distract. Noise and toys. They're weapons of mass distraction. You think about all the entertainments, media, that just say, it's kind of like um, if you think about a lure in front of a fish, you know, follow me, follow me, follow me. And we're just kind of lured away. There's a great book called Noise by Teresa Tomeo. And on the cover, she said, she gives a quote by Pope Benedict. He says, it put simply, we are no longer able to hear God. There are too many frequencies filling our ears. Mm -hmm. So like back in the first century, one of the uh, Roman gents wrote that, give them bread and circuses. They will never revolt. So you think about the, today about the bread and circuses to kind of, you know, quench the thirst of the masses. Just give them violence. Give them distraction. Give them pornography. Give them perversion. Give them noise. Keep them busy. Like one pastor said, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because busy can can kind of really steal time. And on, on what? It's trivial pursuits, which I think all these things have their place. But in terms of the big, you know, picture, it's like, oh, my gosh, who gives a rip about if uh, – I buy this or that shoe or, or this or that gadget if it doesn't help me to order towards my big picture. Now, this is one of the premises about the book Noise. She says, imagine where you have a society where kids are brought up never thinking about the big questions. Who am I? Where am I going? Is there a God? Is there life after death, et cetera? The doesn't matter eternally principle. But you're they're just kind of filled with just kind of like me hungry, me thirsty, you know, guide me, lead me, give me what I want, me, myself, and I absorption. And then how easily those people will be led by, oh, oh he takes away my toy. If I want my toy, I got to follow what he says. And then you can just follow anybody that says, I will give you what you want as long as you return your freedom, your choice to me, you know. And that is scary because I think that's a lot of it in our culture. It's mm. almost like, you know, are you a person that kind of can stand up against the philosophies of the world to say, I will not serve? That is contrary to, to my belief system, you know, or do I say I'm just going to go along because if I don't, I might lose my standing, my honor, my job, my money, my toy, my noise, whatever. There's a real beating that is to be had if you do stand up for your yes. views. Sometimes it's easier to be silent. And sometimes I think folks might suggest it's respectful to be silent. Maybe there's some truth in that, but I, I, I think that, um, I forget, did Thomas More say silence implies assent, right? So if you're quiet, yeah. then you are tacitly agreeing. So it takes courage yep. to disagree. But, you know, you do it in a loving fashion, Right? Yeah, and I think that, I'm sorry, that is what will really distinguish yourself from the noise. Yeah. When you describe your beliefs in a loving fashion, you will be uh, uh, met with anger and, mm -hmm. and the threat of violence. Wow, how about that? 
you're doing it in a loving fashion and they're coming back in a violent fashion. Doesn't that show a little bit about where one is coming from? Yeah, I mean, it really starts for all of us who are parents. Like, you know, we know that if you want to raise your children according to a certain uh, way of virtue and goodness and manners and etiquette and respect, you're going to have to really say no. Like I always tell my kids, like, just imagine if we never potty trained you and now you're 20 years old. You're making a mess all over the place. You, you hate yourself. You have no friends. You smell. Who are you going to blame? Mommy and daddy. There you go. Why? Because you never disciplined me. So it's like discipline is an act of love. That's right. And then you think you kind of take that to society. But, you know, again, we're in this relativistic worldview because we know if you say, just like if we say our kids, no, they're going to say, I don't like you. Yeah. You, you, uh-huh. you. All that. So well, guess what? Society's going to say, I don't like you. Yeah. Who are you to tell me what to do? You're not the boss of right. me. Blah, 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 blah. Right. But it's great. Now, one of the best philosophers of all time, Peter Crave says that this is oh. the guy for our times, is who, who, who Peter Crave recommends is Pascal. Oh, yeah. So Blaise Pascal. And he said this. This is a great quote, talking about silence. He said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Huh? Say that again. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Isn't that interesting? Now think about that, because it's in silence. That's where you know who you are, what you believe, where you're going, how you live your life. You understand things, you know, but you're not just a product of distraction and lured by whatever noise and toys that come your way or entertainments. That's why I think so many people, this is why we reject prayer by nature, because we know it's it's quiet. It's openness. It's so difficult. You know, the word silent, when you scramble it around, you can get the word listen from it. You know, and this is where God speaks. I mean, C.S. Lewis had this great thought, a talk where he says, you know, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our silence. And then he, he also said he shouts to us in our pains. You know, suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, he wants to get our attention. But the primary way and the center way is silence. But unfortunately, we do it and we escape all the time in noise and toys. And I also want to say we escape it in a lot of substances. You know, like I remember uh, the old commercial that said, why ask why, drink but dry. That's right. There you go. (laughs) And you're like, uh, and we joked before, you know, six beers, a philosopher, 12, a theologian, you know, (laughs) and it's easy to uh, get distracted in in, in that and then think that you're smart when you're really just kind of you know, stirring up chemicals in your brain. But um, anyways, you think about this, like why we escape in that, because it's one way to squelch the silence, you know, because if we're not content with ourselves, then we got to have something if we're alone. So it's easy, you know, to get depressed and then just start to kind of drug yourself out of oblivion, you know, but um, there was a joke one guy, you know, said like, I mean, I don't want to downplay the gift of maybe drinking a few and have with some friends and talk of theology and whatnot, because that's what C.S. Lewis said was one of the greatest things that happened uh, in, in his life with his friends, right? They would get together, have a few beers or whatnot, and talk literature, philosophy, theology. I love that. I think guys would love that, too. But uh, one guy said he was at a bar, and, and then he was starting to talk stuff, and the guy says, dude, I'm here to drink, not to think. <laughs> you know, or it was joked uh Reality is a crutch for those who can't handle drugs, which is a play on, you know, drugs is meant to be the crutch for those who can't handle reality. And often us, many people just can't handle reality because they don't want to sit and think it through because thinking's hard work. You know, it's much easier to think below the neck than above it, you know. So um, anyways, 
The quest begins uh, with question. We got to think about the philosophy of life. Think about why you live, and you know what's your philosophy. If someone followed you around for a couple months, they would know what your philosophy is. And for many, it's to kind of basically maximize pleasure, minimize pain, have as much entertainments or whatever as I can, and get by with doing my minimal to kind of pay for my noise and my toys. And you're like, wow, if that's it, then you know we 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 got a kind of a ways to go. So we want to start this quest with questionings. That's the real gift, is to have a curious heart and mind and to kind of put everything we have in our reason to the test. Well, we're going to take a short break. The music means we have to take a short break. So as you can see, we're getting deep here. We're, we're, not, <laughs> we're, we're going to give you more than uh, Thomas's five arguments, Socrates' a, a conviction that there's a God, uh, Pascal's wager, which we probably should talk about anyway. Yeah. But we're trying to talk about reasons for God and really dive into it. Give you something to think about. Give you something to have in your back pocket when confronted. See you soon. Hi, this is Matt Logeman with St. Joseph Radio with a great gift idea, a St. Benedict bracelet, a trendy accessory for men, women, and children that not only looks good on everyone's wrist, but is actually armor for the spiritual battlefield. This unique bracelet is handmade in Europe and contains 10 medals within the braided cord in the adult size and 7 medals in the children's size. On the front of each beautiful medal is St. Benedict holding a cross in his right hand, the object of his devotion. On the back of each medal is a cross. Surrounding the back of the medal and cross are the letters V. E-R-S-N-M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B. In Latin reference, which translates, Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. And finally, located at the top is the word Pax, which means peace. All bracelets come packaged with an informational card and the St. Benedict blessing, which your local priest can administer. This gift is for everyone you love and care about, including yourself. Available from St. Joseph Radio. Check the website at www.saintjosephradio.net. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the pro-life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Well, we're back. Uh, this is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Karutz. We're here with Sean Miller, and we're talking about uh, thoughts and reasons for the existence of God. And, you know, we're trying to have you think about it a little bit and get you ready to maybe be prepared when someone hits you mm-hmm. with a question. Uh, you, you know, sometimes those times that you need to be prepared for, you need a moment's notice. Someone is dying, right? Quite literally. Uh, and and uh, it can go either way. They they give such a great example of faith, and and die well. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think th- say that's the ultimate test of character. And sometimes, maybe more often than we would like to see, they're very troubled. They're very uh, uh, anguished. Right? How hard is it to die if there is no hope? Mm-hmm. So you you're going to be ready to give some hope, right? Living your life, you're giving hope. 
but some of these reasons might give you a few, you know, arrows in your quiver to be ready for it. Yeah, because along the way, you know, we want to have a very reasoned life. I want to have a, a reasoned existence. I, I want to know things. Just like, you know, if you're anybody's in a, in a field, you know, if you get on a plane, you want the pilot to know what he's doing. And if you're living life, you want to say, you know, I want to know what I'm doing. You know, granted, we're going to be enshrouded in a mystery, of course, you know, but it's like there has been <laughs> reasons revealed in, in your own soul and in God's word. But it's like, um, you know, we want to live a, a conscious, active life. So we want an intelligent laity, people who kind of think through these things. But you don't have to be, again, a professional, but we're, we're all, you know, philosophers because we ask questions. So we said last time the quest begins with questions. We don't want to stay in the kiddie pool all our life. You know, even if you think you're in over your head, let's go swim in the deep end a little bit. Now, there's a book called Prove It by Amy Wellborn. It was written for teens. And she writes, you're not the only person in the history of the world to have a heart-stopping moment of existential comic panic, or I'm sorry, cosmic panic in which you think, what if it's made up after all? What if it's not true? Yes, believe it or not, there have been actually been lots of people who have thought hard about faith. They've grappled with the very same questions and fundamental choices of life, life or darkness, meaning or chaos, God or nothing at all. And some of them came up with answers and they wrote them down and they still make sense. So one of the things I want to say is that there is so much wisdom and knowledge, both and, out there, if we just kind of take some time to read. But, you know, like I think studies show that how many people have even read a book in the past year. And I always kind of – my the, the priest that I work with, they always say, you know, that the reality is probably many people who come to church, this is the only religious education, so to speak, they get is in a 15-minute homily and even yep. shorter than that. And you're right. like – so we got to really encourage this to try and get people to think. I mean – my attitude is that I, I think the Lord knocks on the door of our lives, you know, throughout our life, you know, and uh, there's curiosity, there's questions. You say the, the, these little doubts, they're, they're hunger pains. It's a sign that I'm hungry that needs to be filled. You know, they say, feed your faith and your doubts will starve to that. So all these little knocks is the Lord saying, you know, look for me, search for me, open this door. But many people, I think, maybe don't hear it because we've got the noise and the toys distracting us. So he has to sometimes come and bang. Hard, you know. Sometimes the Lord can come through the doors, like He did after he, he rose from the dead, and say, you know, kind of here I am. But oftentimes, the hard knock comes in two primary ways. I think it's in like miracles or miseries, signs or sufferings, marvels or misfortunes, prodigies or pains. You know, like I said before, God speaks to us in silence, but He sometimes has to wake us up through suffering. So, great book out there called Just Whatever, where um, this author speaks about trying to reach the spiritually indifferent and how really trials and sufferings can kind of wake us up. I think in my own life, I mean, I was in a, I almost, you know, was in a crash and almost died. And sad to say, me and the guy with me was, we were both a little bit over the edge with, with alcohol at the time. And then I thought if I died at that moment, what would have happened to my soul? And then I began to ask the big questions, you know, and that really started for me. And I was that age, you know, sad to say age 18, we had raised kind of us, you know, nice, you know, Catholic life, but not really ever thinking through things. We were given more answers to questions we didn't ask. But after that, I thought, you know, who am I? Where am I going? All, all that stuff. So then I began to ask, you know, is God really real? Is the person that I pray to throughout my life really there? So it was a wake-up call. But it really starts then with the number one question with, um, is God real? Peter Craft in his book, Every, Everything You Ever Want to Know About Heaven, he says, you know, uh, you got to ask, what difference does this question make? You know, if you, if it if it makes no difference in life, then why ask it? So, like the, the the question of God, it makes the ultimate difference, right? It's not surely an academic one. Um, it's the most important question of all. It affects the whole tenor of human life, 
Ultimately, the God question is a question of our own value as human beings. Are we immortal from the moment of our birth, or are we just so much potential garbage? If God doesn't exist, don't go to awake and console the bereaved by saying, well, she's in a better place now. If there is no God, she isn't in a better place. She has simply ceased to be real. If there is no God, don't expect anyone finally to receive justice, whether to the murderer or to the victim. If there is no God, at death the martyr and the murderer received exactly the same reward, annihilation. Either life is what Shakespeare said in one of his plays, full of sound and fury signifying nothing, and we are on a stage ad-libbing lines in a play that nobody wrote, or else there is a mind behind it all. Either there is some sort of a supreme being or there isn't. So I would say that is the big question. You know, and it's really good to ponder it uh, for the sake of just, like, sanity. You know, I mean, just imagine two differing views where one says there's a God who's the ground of all rationality, all objective order, justice, logic, you know, everything, or one who says, eh, it's whatever you kind of think it is. You got to make up your own meaning. I don't believe in any of that stuff. We're just a cosmic collection of evolution, you know, evolutionized chemicals. Cosmic. Yeah. I, <laughs> I remember years and years ago, I was listening to NPR and there was a series on cosmology and there was a astrophysicist on and, and they were talking about how the Big Bang worked and how mm. the expansion worked. And it, if it had gone a little bit too faster, it wouldn't have congealed. If it was a little slower, it wouldn't have happened. They talked about the s- strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force and how consistent it was. And, and then I think in a weak moment, uh, the interviewer said, well, how, how did that all come about? And... Um, and the guy said, I, I, he said, I, I guess you're asking me if I think there's a God. And he said, of course, I don't believe in God, but I don't know how it could have happened without a God. <laughs> yeah, so there yeah. is that, even in, from a reasoned standpoint, there's, it, it's awful hard to say there isn't. Yeah, you know, it's interesting how these astrophysicists and so forth and, and non-believers, they've got this wonder and awe at nature, but they have to somehow then posit to say, okay, we, we have an ideology that's materialistic. We can't even posit the thing of, of, a, of a supernatural cause. So therefore, we just kind of say, I don't know, or we're just kind of limited by naturalistic explanations. And I, I just think that's sad because, you know, sanity says if you walk up, if, if, if I'm looking at your smartphone right there, you know, I just don't conclude that that just happened, matter plus chance plus time. You know, everybody knows that if there's an intricate design, it posits a designer. You, know, you, go, right. you go by Mount Rushmore, you don't right. say, wow, erosion and wind and chance yeah. created that image. And yet, we stretch that for this incomprehensibly wonder of the thing we call the universe because we don't want to posit a designer. That's the whole beef that people have with this intelligent de- design movement. They're trying to make a case. We do this every day. What's our inference to the best explanation of why there's a smartphone there? Because yeah. somebody made it. And that yet a cell is massively more complex than that smartphone. I think I heard somebody <laughs> say, I, I don't have enough faith to believe that there is no God. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it just happened by chance. Well, you know, it's interesting. We think of religion in terms of kind of like sanctity and sin and morality, but really... You know, Frank Sheed wrote a book called Theology and Sanity that he wants us to get it right because, you know, sane, sanus, we get the word health. We want us to people to be healthy in mind, you know. But unfortunately, you know, if we don't think these things through and we just try and say my ideology precedes my discovery. Right. Then uh, we it's can not be, very scientific. Yeah. I don't, and I don't think we can live in the real world there, you know. And it's like, you know, just if you think about 
Uh, G.K. Chesterton, he said, the problem of disbelieving in God is not that a man ends up believing nothing. Alas, it is much worse. He ends up believing anything. You know, so it's like, I think today we're kind of a scared, you know, in terms of all these phobias, I think there's a real phobia in the sense that we're kind of scared of reality. But, you know, just as a kind of prelude to a future talk, you know, uh, Dostoevsky said, if there is no God, everything's permitted, because then who is the source of moral grounding, of justice, of order, of right and of wrong? If there is no God, ultimately, it doesn't matter if you love your neighbor or you eat him. If you're in a cannibalistic world or a Christian world, at the end of the day, and it's like, do you want to live in that world? You know, like, we're living in the perfume of a Christian worldview right now, and it's like we're trying to drain the bottle of its perfume. It's still got its scent, but it's like without that bottle perfume there, it can be bad. It's kind of like they always give the analogy of, like, when you cut flowers, you know, they look pretty for a time, but if you take them away from their foundation, it's a matter of time before it dies. And if you take out the foundation of order, which is God, which is the Judeo-Christian worldview, to kind of guarantee and support all that we believe in terms of morality and right reason and whatnot, it's going to be a bad situation. St. Paul warned about that in Romans chapter 1. He talks about basically, you know, just as you know there is if there's a design, there's a designer. If there's a building, there's a builder. If there's an architect, there's an architect. He said you should know that there is a creator behind creation. And he goes, if you refuse to acknowledge that, he says that basically it says they have no excuse. They knew God, but though they did not accord him glory as God or give him thanks. So instead they became vain in their reasoning and their senseless minds were darkened. It says they became fools. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind and to improper conduct. And then so Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame wrote this book. He's like, you know, how do you reconcile with so many people who think, you know, these thoughts? But he says, when you toss God out, he says, okay, uh, do what you want, but let's see how that works for you. You know, these these behaviors that are going to follow from this disordered thinking, you know, it's going to function opposite according to the ways that was meant to think. So right now, think about society. We're debating, you know, in a world that reveres science, you say, well, what is a man? What is a woman? Uh, call me by my pronoun. I'm not really a he or she. I might be a they, a we. My name is Legion, for we are many. You know, we have a society that says that an eagle's egg is more protected than a, a, a child, an un, unborn. We, we've got books called The Blind Watchmaker, A Universe from Nothing. You know, we've got all these debates about what does it matter if you dismember a child in the womb as long as it's your right to do, you should have the full right and the sanction of the government to do so. You're like, okay, we're, we have a disordered way of thinking now because it kind of stems from you lose that first ground of reason and depravity sets in and it can get pretty, pretty nasty. So like we got to say, I think, you know, the worldview of God wants to also protect sanity Right. As well as sanctity. Yeah, and a lot of what you said is is the conventional wisdom, but it flies in the face of reason and logic mm-hmm. and science. Yeah. And uh, there is that great pressure to ignore it. You yeah. Know, I, I can um, dismember a child in the womb, right? Well, it's my body, my choice, right? Yeah. It's not your body. Uh, but, and and every bit of science would prove that it's not your body. It's, it's a, a body in your body. It's a body in your body. That that body might have a different blood type, might have a a different sex. Certainly has a different DNA. Will be a it is a different person. But but it is ignored. So you, you I think you said it earlier. You have to have you have to have knowledge, and then use it for for the good or for the right. Right. But what we people are doing is they're distorting either, right? The knowledge that they're purveying is actually 
false. And then they're yeah. drawing reason from that that is based on false knowledge. Yeah, so we've lost the wisdom to say this, the knowledge is that this is a, a gift of a child. And then how, how do we protect and safeguard it and love this? But the point is, is that, you know, we can get off track. And again, reality is difficult. You know, we have to carry the cross sometimes. There are difficult situations. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to think through these things and their consequences. Like they say, you know, I'm, quote, pro-choice in the sense that, yeah, I believe in the freedom to choose. You know, we, we all have the power to choose, so to speak. But what are the consequences that I'm choosing? Right. That's what you right. got to think in the whole equation, right? Sure. So really, the, you know, the, the big things is that we, we can live this life of distraction, but really... There's the thing that Pascal speaks about called the human predicament. You know, he says that basically the fact of death propels us to answer these questions. We're in the game, you know, and like like they say, every every person should ask, like if you're talking to somebody that says, you know, what do you want to do in life, you know? And, they, and then they say, oh, I want to become a doctor. Are you, I want to get married. And you say, and then, well, first I want to go to school. Yeah, and then, then I want to become a doctor. And then, well, then I want to get married. And then, then I want to have kids. And then, and then, and then. You get to the point, you say, well, then I guess I'll die. And then you say, and then? And then. So it's the AT&T principle, I call it, and then, and then, and then. So death kind of forces us to ask the question. You think about, like, uh, remember that show Indiana Jones and the Last oh, Crusade? Yeah, yeah. He's on the edge, you know, and, and uh, he's got to make this, quote, leap of faith because his father just got shot and he's dying. You know, and they kind of put it like, you got to believe, boy. And he's like, it's a leap of faith. You know, now. People think, oh, it's just a blind leap. But he believed because he had his father's diary with him to take that step. You know, right. ultimately it would kind of save his life. But he's in this predicament. He's in the game. He had to make a choice because if not, something was going to take place, which was death. So Pascal speaks about this human predicament. And I think it's so good because he says, let's just look at the way man is. Now, for those who have never heard of Pascal, uh, Peter Crave wrote a book called Christianity for Modern Pagans. And he said, Pascal is the guy to read. If you want more of a simple, there's a book called Just Whatever by a guy named Matt Nelson. And he kind of tries to speak about this kind of indifferent, you know, worldview that we have to say, well, who's to know? Maybe I'll, I don't know that I've heard good arguments from atheists. I'm not sure. I'm kind of agnostic. But basically, he says, you know, you got to answer the question. Death propels you. You're in the game. But if you want to just try to divert yourself with distractions and difference, well, that's on you. But here's here's what he lays out. And, and there's another guy named William Lane Craig. He's got a talk called The Absurdity of Life Without God. Now, he says, um, so this is what Pascal says. You want to stir the heart of man and ask the big questions. Let's ponder this world without God. He says, so Lane Craig says, one of the things to first consider before getting into the question of God is what has been called the human predicament. That is to say, the significance of human life in a universe without God. Who am I, man asks? Why am I here? Where am I going? Since the Enlightenment, when he threw off the shackles of religion, man has tried to answer these questions without reference to God. But the answers that came back were not exhilarating, but dark and terrible. Quote, you are the accidental byproduct of nature as a result of matter plus time plus chance. There is no reason for your existence. All you face is death. You are the blind and arbitrary product of time, chance, and natural forces. You are a mere grab bag of atomic particles, a conglomeration of genetic substance. You exist on a tiny planet in a minute solar system in an empty corner of a meaningless universe. You are a purely biological entity, different only in degree, but not in kind from a microbe, virus, or amoeba. You have no essence beyond your body, and at death you will cease to exist entirely. In short, you came from nothing and are going nowhere. <laughs> 
Well, that's a little depressing. <laughs> How's that for boldly going nowhere in Star uh, Trek? <laughs> I'm telling you. And this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. We are here talking about the existence of God. Uh, I'm your host, Peter Karutz, and this is Sean Miller. Yeah, so the human predicament. So, like, let's let's answer these questions without God. It all sounds fashionable right now to say, well, there is no God. Well, okay, then let's think about it, right? So then there's no ultimate meaning, ultimate meaning, value, or purpose. Like Jean-Paul Sartre said that, you know, there is no God, so therefore you have to create your meaning. You have to create the illusion and pretend of what meaning is rather than discovering it. So... So no ultimate meaning, value, or purpose without immortality in God. So this is from chapter 2 of William Lane Craig's book, uh, Reasonable Faith. He said, if each individual person passes out of existence when he dies, then what ultimate meaning can be given to his life? Does it really matter whether he ever existed at all? It might be said that his life was important because it influenced others or affected the course of history. But this only shows a relative significance to his life, not an ultimate significance. His life may be important relative to certain other events, But what is the ultimate significance? And then he kind of says this. Think of the contributions of the scientist to the advance of human knowledge, the researches of the doctor to alleviate pain and suffering, the efforts of the diplomat to secure peace in the world. Think of all the sacrifice, studies, the hours, et cetera. Every one of you in all of the time that you are spending to try and perfect your field or make money or whatever, it doesn't matter. It all ends in nothing. So you got no ultimate purpose there. You've got no ultimate value without immortality in God. So if life ends at the grave, then it makes no difference whether one's lived as a Stalin or as a saint. Like we said, if there is no immortality, then all things are permitted. If there is no God, then there's no objective standards of right and wrong. So can you condemn any crime as evil or praise any goodness as good? So if death stands with open arms at the end of life's trail, then what is the goal of life? (laughs) To what end has life been lived? Is it all for nothing? You know, if there is no reason for life, what of the universe? Is it utterly pointless? If its destiny is a cold grave in the recesses of outer space, the answer is yes, it's pointless. So again, um, does one understand the kind of the gravity of the alternatives before us? Does one understand the why the question of God's existence is so vital to man? You know, so again, I think we've got to think about this. No hope, no meaning, no ultimate. Again, these are ultimates. No ultimate justice, nobody to make right or wrong. I mean, I heard this story of this girl, this little girl. She was kidnapped. She was raped and killed. When they found her body, she was cuddled up holding her little doll, you know. And then you can just think of the horrific sense of her soul in terror in the midst of this moment. At the end of the day, there's no justice for her as the victim or for the the one that murdered her, you know, because ultimately it doesn't matter. Now, that might shock you to say, well, you know, I mean, Whatever, but it's like, <clears throat> who is going to be the one to kind of stand? So, I mean, th- this is one of the things that we'll talk about down the road, but this is kind of meant to kind of stir you up to kind of say, do I really think that way? You know, and does rationality uh, point in that direction? So, like, just maybe to kind of end, end on a positive note, you know, uh, in the Christian view, by contrast, this is in Dinesh D'Souza's book, What's So Great About Christianity? He says, in the Christian view, by contrast, you are the special creation of a good and all-powerful God. You are created in his image with capacities to think, feel, and worship that sets you above other life forms. You differ from the animals, not simply in degree, but in kind. Not only is your kind unique, but you are unique among your kind. Your creator loves you so much and so intensely desires your companionship and affection that he has a plan for your life. In addition, he gave the life of his only son that you might spend eternity with him. 
if you're willing to accept the gift of salvation, you you can become a child of God. So it's a whole different view about image of God. And I, I, I don't want to disparage those who are kind of in that place right now where they're not really sure, but it's like, I just want, you know, we all got to start thinking about these things and, and just ponder, what do I believe and, 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 and why? Like, uh, you may have heard the movie Contact. Oh, love it. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, now that was kind of dedicated to Carl Sagan. He was the guy that had the movie Cosmos, and that's what Neil deGrasse Tyson did in, in 2014. And kind of, I think that's what you were talking about earlier. But there's a great scene in there where um, the two main characters are having a conversation. And then so she says in a playful tone, okay, what's more likely, that an all-powerful, mysterious God created the universe and decided not to give any proof of his existence, or that he simply doesn't exist at all and that we created him? so that we wouldn't have to feel so small and alone. The guy responds, I don't know. I couldn't imagine living in a world where God didn't exist. I wouldn't want to. She retorts, well, how do you know you're not deluding yourself? I mean, for me, I need proof. The guy then states, proof. Hmm. He pauses knowing her affection for her father, who had passed away, and that's the reason why she was a scientist. He said, did you love your father? What? Your dad. Did you love him? Yes, very much. And he says, prove it. <laughs> and then she just sits there in kind of this stare. Like, what we're going to talk about next time is a sense called scientism, which says that all knowledge is empirical, natural, material, underneath a, you know, a uh, microscope, you know, something you can see, feel, and touch. But it's actually like that, that is not what proof is. Knowledge is much more than what I can see and feel. I mean, think about love, honor, respect, truth, goodness, virtue, right? All these things, every decision we make every day, it's more based upon faith than science. You know, when you went to the grocery store or poured a cup of coffee, you know, you know, bought something, you didn't say, hey, open this can up, prove it to me that there's Campbell's soup in here, right? We, we make acts of faith all day long. Every time we get in a car, in an airplane, have a conversation, there's a level of trust. Even to trust your mind to reason reasonably is an act of faith. So faith precedes everything, the sense of, of trust. But unfortunately, in our day, we've kind of been in this cultural fog of scientism, which basically says that the high priests of today are wearing white coats, not, not wearing bishops' garments, that it's science that tells us the answer. But you know, for those who say that science is the only avenue to truth, you could say, well, that is not scientific. That's a philosophical statement. So unfortunately, though, we're, we're kind of you know revering these folks rather than saying that knowledge is about arguments, reasons. You know, it's not just the data of the, you know, here and now, what can I put under a, uh, you know, a scientific microscope? So again, uh, these are all clues to God. It's kind of like clues to why do I say I want to commit my life to this or that person in marriage? I can't scientifically prove that this person is going to be the right one for me, but I have a lot of clues to say I'm all in, I believe. As you may have gathered, we're gonna. This is gonna be a multi-part series. So uh, one of the things to remember is you can ask for a copy of this program or any of them by calling at 636-447-6000, 636-447-6000. And the good thing about that is you can listen to it and then share it with a friend. This is a great way to evangelize, and we are all baptized, so we are called to spread the word. So please, my friends, go out, spread the word this week, and come back and join us next week at this same time. And bring a friend. God bless you all.
listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.